Let's get into it. If you have a Bible, let's go to John chapter 19. We're looking at three Marys and three encounters with Jesus. Now, if you've looked at the New Testament at all, the Marys, there are so many Marys. In fact, in the scripture I'm going to read today, there's three Marys all standing at the cross. So it gets really confusing fast. But this week, we're looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just download version. great version of the Bible. And if you're on your mobile device, I read out of the New Living Translation. So would you stand? I'm going to read a few verses here. John chapter 19. If you're new to church, John was a disciple of Jesus. You're going to hear him show up at the end of this story. He's, uh, we believe to be Jesus, probably his closest friend on, on earth. And John writes this account of Jesus near the end of his life. Jesus has been arrested. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And I'm going to not read the whole chapter, but just pick out a couple verses here. Let's start at verse 1. It says, Then Pilate, who was the Roman leader, he had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers, they wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews! They mocked as they slapped him across the face. And skip ahead to verse 16. Verse 16, it says this, Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called the place of the skull, which means Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross, and two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. Go down to the end of the chapter, near or middle of the chapter, I'm sorry, verse 25. It says, Standing near the cross was Jesus' mom. You ever stop just think about that for a moment? Like, mom's in the house, mama's in the house. In this part of the country, we call you mama. Mama's such an endearing word. When you hear that word, like, get called mama. I love just saying mama. It just feels so good. It's like Jesus in this moment. There's his mom. She's standing there with a couple of other Marys. One of them is... uh, important because we're going to talk about her next week, Mary Magdalene. We're going to look at her next week. And when Jesus saw his mom standing there beside the disciple he loved, and this would be John because John's writing about himself, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. In other words, I'm, I'm ready to die. Would you, would you take care of my mom for me? These are the words of a dying man. Would you, would you take care of my mom? And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray. God, so grateful for this worship experience, so grateful for this house to proclaim and glorify your name. We pray above anything and everything that we do today that you will be lifted high, that we would all leave with the name of Jesus in, a, in our hearts and in our minds. And the church, let's just pray right now. Whether you follow Jesus or you, you don't, you can pray. God, speak to me. What do you want to say to me in these few minutes of opening up your word? And, and pray for me that I'm going to be faithful uh, and that God would speak by the power of his Holy Spirit. It would not be my words, but his words that we would hear today. In Jesus' name, and the church gave a big amen. You may be seated. Well, doubt. Have you ever doubted that... Uh, something was true. You know, like, uh, you know, big doubts like, hey, uh, is Elvis really living in a trailer park down somewhere in Mississippi? 
you know, is the Sasquatch down in southern Oklahoma. You know, fair's coming up this week. Is there really a two-headed baby behind that if I give you five bucks? You know, is, there, is the lizard boy really back there? I mean, there's just a lot of doubts that we, that we, we come across. Uh, last couple of weeks, I got a letter in the mail that I was pretty excited about. Um, let me just kind of read to you this letter that I got. It said, congratulations, Bradley Farnsworth, which it must be for my mom because she's the only one that ever calls me that anymore. It wasn't. But it says this, you are a finalist in our 2017 Toyota Prius Hybrid Giveaway! Exclamation point. Are you kidding me? Wow, me, I got selected. Crazy. And I was like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. Um, first of all, I don't like uh, any kind of car that you got to plug into the wall. So I don't even know why they sent this to me. Uh, but, you know, if you drive a car that you plug into the wall, my apologies. I didn't mean anything bad about that. But it says this. It says, first, pull the tab. So it has this little, like, black box thing, and you pull the tab on it, and a number shows up. And, and so I saw the number, and it said, hey, if your number matches the, the number underneath here, then you're going to win. And so I was like, oh, man, I got to get a quarter or something. And I reached out, and I was scratching it off. And would you, would you believe, it matched. It matched. And as I read that, it said, oh, my, it said, you have won. Congratulations. And it gave me four different prizes that I am guaranteed to win at least one of them. The first one, the, the Prius. Eh. Uh, number two, a seven-night Royal Caribbean cruise. That's right where I want to go right now. Uh, with airfare for two. Or number three, a Samsung 70-inch 4K TV or a new Apple iPhone pad air. I was freaking out, people. I'm like, oh, I, I won. And so I, I, it says, call now. And it said, uh, call immediately. And so I did what it said. I called immediately. And when I called, the rep answered, and he confirmed, yes, you've won one of these four. I was like, this is, this is a great, such a great day. And he's like, yes, all you have to do um, is come for a 90-minute a, a interview. But, oh, Oh, and so I, uh, Laura's out of town, and so of course I set it up, and so we're going to have a phenomenal date night when she, she gets back in town. And then, so if that is not amazing enough, I know you all are like, wow, this is incredible. I know, it just happened to me. So uh, then I got an email this week. This just, my luck is so good right now. This one here says, I am Mrs. Nicole, whoever that is. I decided to will and donate the sum of 2.7 million euro to you for the good work of God. Can I get an amen from God's people? We have been picked out. That's crazy. I don't even know how much euro that is, but that could buy me a whole lot of those hybrids. So I am super stoked. It says, hey, I also want to help the motherless and the less privileged and also fourth assistance of the widows. At the moment, I cannot take any telephone calls right now due to the fact that my relatives have squandered the funds I give them for this purpose before. This person is really needs to work on their, their spelling and writing skills. And around me, my, oh, my health status is not good. But I have adjusted my will and my lawyer is aware. I have willed those properties to you. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All I have to do is send my name, my private phone number, passport, identity number, country, occupation, my routing number, and my checking account number, which I did, and I'm waiting to hear back. I cannot, <laughs> cannot wait. So lucky. Doubts. I mean, doubts. We, we all deal with 
with, with, with doubts. As, as followers of Jesus, our, our entire belief system hinges on this one thought. We believe the heart does go on. That's what we believe. We believe that God did send his son and Jesus was the Messiah and he did die and was resurrected again on the third day and if we will place our faith in him, we will have eternal life. The heart does go on. But what if it's not true? Like, what, if, what if it's just a, a big hoax? Like, I, it's just all, what if it's all just smoke and mirrors? And, and we're all just gathered believing a big lie. Like, what if this is just like glorified self-help? Just a pick-me-up talk. H- have you ever wondered? Have, have you ever said to yourself, is, is this really true? <laughs> is, it, is this legit? Or are we just all playing a, a game here? Does the heart really go on? So what do we, what do, we do with that? What do, what do we do with our doubts? How do we wrestle with our doubts in the right way? How, how do we do them and wrestle and overcome our doubts in a healthy way? I, I want us to look through the lens of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We we read just a few moments ago, John chapter 19, and in John chapter 19, we find Mary standing at the foot of the cross watching her son, Jesus, die. Now, I I want you just to to imagine imagine the scene here that's that's taking place. Mary is awakened in the middle of the night, and, and somebody's telling her that her son has been arrested, and she rushes off, and sure enough, there he is. He's, he's on trial, and they are condemning him, and they're bringing all these false witnesses, and in that moment, she's half awake, and she's confused at what's going on, and, and she's like, well, maybe he'll, he'll say something. You know, he'll, he'll let them know who he is, because I, I know who he is, but, but Jesus doesn't say anything. And, and then he's, he's taken off to, to Pilate and, and before Pilate, and, and he is beaten and he is tortured and he is whipped with the cat of nine tails where that metal just rips through his flesh. And she watches all of this take place right in front of her as she witnesses it and she wonders, what, what is going on? Like, wait, wait a minute, why is he not... Why is he not doing anything? Like, he's, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. I mean, why is nothing happening? And then she sees them put a crown of thorns on his head, and she's, this doesn't make sense. And she watches him drag this cross through the streets. And here she is. She's in the crowd, and, and she's kind of watching and, and huddled, and, 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 and she's looking at it, and people are spitting on him and cursing him, and they're laughing at him. And she's like, surely you'll, this is your moment, son. This is your moment to do something, to tell them. But he does nothing. And then he's taken to this hill called Golgotha, and he is nailed to a couple of pieces of wood and raised up and dropped into the ground. And, and she's watching all of this happen in, in front of her, and she sees him just struggling to, to get his breath, and she's, what's, 
going on, son? I mean, like you do, son, what is happening? What is, what, is, what is happening? And then suddenly she hears him take in that final breath and exhale. No more breath in his lungs. See, when we, we think of Mary in Scripture, we, we never think of Mary as doubting. We never think of, in fact, in some um, places we have elevated her to divine status. But the truth is Mary was human. She was human just like you, just like me. She had thoughts. She had emotions. She bled like you and I do. She had desires. She, she had wants. She, she had feelings. And, and she was flesh and bone. She was human just like you. Come on, tell three people right now, Mary was human just like you, just like you. In front of you, behind you, tell somebody, Mary was just like you. So here she is in this, in this moment, and she's just looking at, at Jesus, and she's, I, and Scripture doesn't tell us this, and so I'm taking some liberties here this morning with this, but I just envision as a mom, she's standing at the cross, and she's remembering, like, I he lays there motionless, and she's like, but I had a vision, and, and the angel was the angel and, and told me that he was the Messiah. And then I, I, saw, I saw the miracles. You, you guys saw, we saw the miracles. We saw him turn water into wine, and we, we, we saw him, Lazarus, Lazarus, remember how he was dead, but, but he, he raised him from the dead. And then there was that widow. Remember how she was crying and she was weeping, but Jesus raised her her son, and I remember seeing her son, I remember thinking about that, because I'm a mom, and I remember thinking, wow, there, there it is, and a miracle after miracle, and there were people that couldn't walk, and he would raise them up, and, and I, I heard him, I heard him verbally say that he was the Messiah, like I, I heard him talk about it, I, I heard him say that he was the son of God, but now, in this moment, her son, Jesus, lays motionless, hanging from this cross. There's no angels swooping in to save the day. Just darkness. I think there comes a point in all of our lives where our faith is tested. It might be through a crisis. It might be through a tragedy. It might be through just simple doubts or a bad report or just an unanswered prayer. It might be because of, of um, a high school uh, teacher that's got some agenda or you're on your college campus and the professor is saying some things and it's causing questions and, 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 and doubts to be raised within you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're afraid to verbalize those doubts because when I, I'm not supposed to doubt but the thing I want you to, to rest in today is this, as followers of Jesus, struggling with doubt does not make you unchristian. It makes you human. doesn't make you unchristian. It makes you human. Come on, tell somebody right now, welcome to the human race. Welcome to the human race. We see even in Scripture, his, his disciples, even Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They have interacted with him for a couple of weeks now, and then Scripture tells us some doubted. And, and the only one that gets thrown under the bus is Thomas. He's the only one that gets mentioned. I feel bad for him. Thomas is like, yeah, doubting Thomas. Listen, he's the only one. Like it says some, but they only mention Thomas's name. 
And then for the next 2,000 years, we all just step on Thomas, don't we? We're like, oh, man, that Thomas. I don't, don't be a doubting Thomas. He gets t- That's the worst nickname ever. Can you imagine that the rest of your life? Oh, hey, doubting Thomas, how's it going? Yeah, thank you very much. But I kind of like Thomas because he's the only one that had the guts to verbalize it. Because the other disciples are like, well, we've been following him, and you know, we're not supposed to say anything. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because I'm, I mean, it's my reputation's on the line. And don't we just do that also as followers of Jesus? We're, we're afraid to say, so we need a few more Thomases in the room. We, we need some people that will speak up and speak to the doubts that, that we are facing in our lives. Here's the thing about doubts. Doubts take no effort whatsoever. Like, they, they, they just show up. I mean, they're just there. Boom, they're on you. But here's the thing about faith. Faith takes work. Faith takes work. Say that with me. Faith takes work. In other words, there's some assembly required. Like, have you ever um, gone to, like, Ikea and, uh, or the store, and they've got that, like, you're going to buy a dresser, and they've got, like, that living room set, and you're like, oh, man, that looks sweet. And so then you buy it. And then they ship it to you, and it comes in a box that's like three inches high. And you're like, I'm sorry, i got to put this thing together. Just imagine if you took that box and you set it in your bedroom and put it on the floor and then began to take your clothes and stack them on top of the box, okay? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd just be dumb. Imagine if your spouse or a friend came in and said, what are you doing? And you're like, I don't know. It just doesn't work, so uh, I'm going to ship it back. I don't know what's going on. It'd just be idiotic, wouldn't it? This is what happens to us in our doubts, though. Come into church, you hear the testimonies, you see the showroom floor, you see the way it's all supposed to work, and then you you say, all right, I'm going to step across that line, you step across the line into into faith, and then it comes in this box. (laughs) Some assembly required. The, The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he's talking to the church at Philippi, and they're, they're struggling a little bit as well. And he says this to them in Philippians 2.12. He says, work out. Somebody say, work out. work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down. And in your, in your chair back, there's a, there's a message note thing for you. You can take that out and write this down. Faith works as I work out my salvation. Faith works as I work out my salvation. I I want you to to practice this just a bit. I want you to tell three people, a person in front of you, a person behind you, and a person on your side. In front of you, behind you, and on your side right now. Take it out of the box. You've got to take it out of the box. Come on. You've got to take it out of the box. Okay. Some of y'all ain't doing it. What is up with that? You're like, no, I am not participating. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm not, it's not who I am. It's not my personality. Not going to do it. No, sir. Every week, the same person. I'm not going to pour them out, but this is the same person every week. Just looking at me. I, no. And plus, I think what they're thinking in that moment is this. Well, I have to be the one they talk to because if everybody's talking at the same time, nobody's listening. So I'm the listener in the congregation. That's who I am. I got something for you. Hang around for the end of this message because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you to understand why it's so important that we talk to one another. So this is Mary. Faith works as I work out my salvation. Mary, she overcomes doubt by working out her salvation. 
for 33 years. She gives birth to the Messiah, and she's beginning to work out her salvation for 33 years. I I like in in the song what Celine Dion says, because I think it, it really describes Mary. It says this, love can touch us one time and last for a lifetime. That's Mary's story. The Spirit of God touched her as a teenage girl, and it changed the trajectory of her life. That's your story if you're a follower of Jesus. Love reached down and touched you, found you where you were, and rescued you and changed the trajectory of your life. This is Mary. So Mary, she's this teenage girl, and and this, this angel shows up. Just, I mean, come on. Think about this. She's a teenage girl. She's heard about the Messiah, heard about this idea of a Messiah coming. If you're not familiar with the Bible or Old Testament teachings, the Jewish people were waiting on a Messiah. They had heard about a Messiah that's coming. And now the angel shows up to a teenage girl and says, you're the one. And Mary's like, I'm, I'm the one. It's no wonder in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 29, it says this, confused and disturbed. Mary was confused and disturbed. Man, that that feels good because I'm often confused and disturbed. Are you not often confused and, come on, turn somebody right now and just say, I'm confused and disturbed. I am confused and disturbed, okay? Now, it's not fair to turn back and go, I've been waiting on you to say that for years. So here's Mary, confused and disturbed, and she tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, Now, Think about it. Just stop and ponder this for a moment. Mary, there's, there's, no, there's no visible proof. There's no, there's no ultrasound. It's not like the angel showed up and went, all right, Mary, and put the gel on her. You know, got the little, like this, right there. Oh, right, right there. Do you see the little, see the halo? See the halo right there? Yes. Uh, yep, it's a Messiah. Bing. I do not know why I did that with my belly. <laughs> That would be a miracle too. All right, so, but I digress. But look at Mary's response in, in verse 38. Luke 1:38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. That's faith. That's working out your salvation. Mary was confident despite her confusion. She was confident despite her confusion. You can be confident despite your confusion. You can have faith over your doubts if you will work out your salvation. You are going to have to bench press some doubts, okay? Doubts, again, they're going to come without asking, okay? And they're going to weigh you down, and you're going to have to do some reps. And as you do some reps with all of those doubts, guess what? Your faith begins to grow, and your faith begins to get uh, strengthened and stronger, and doubt begins to be overcome as we exercise it. So here's Mary. Can you imagine the first nine months? Just the first nine months. She's, she's had this vision from, from the angel, and, and, and she's, she's trying to uh, convince her, her, her parents. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? Funny story, Dad. <laughs> An angel showed up last night, and I'm pregnant with God. Ah! Uh? Mm, I bet you want a Prius too, didn't you? Yes, I mean, it's just crazy. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy story. She's trying to convince uh, 
the people around her in this small village. Everybody knew. They're all whispering about it. Imagine how difficult, how trying, how hard those, those first nine months must have been for her. But here's the thing. Have you ever, have you ever stopped to, to think about how just crazy our story really is? How, how just incredibly ridiculous our story sounds. When I was in Israel this past year, I was uh, sitting with a rabbi, and we were just him and I eating together. And I asked him, I said, hey, I'm just curious. Um, I want to learn. Um, you're a minister. I'm a minister. You're from your faith. I'm from my faith. I believe the Messiah has come. You don't believe the Messiah has come. I said, tell me why. Tell me why you don't believe the Messiah has come. He's like, uh, no, no, I'm not going down that road with you. I was like, no, no, I, I'm not, not going to argue with you. I, I'm not going to try to convince you. I, I really, really want to know, like, why you don't believe. And he said, you don't, you don't want to know what I think. I said, I do. I said, okay. He said, because it's a crazy, ridiculous story. He goes, you're trying to tell me that God got a teenage girl pregnant. That's nuts. And then on top of that, so she gives birth <laughs> to God. And then this teenage girl is changing the poopy diapers of God? That's what you want me to believe? And I said, you know, that is a crazy story. <laughs> That's a little whacked out, isn't it? Cuckoo, little loco. And I said, you know, um, there's another story in the Bible that um, I, I think is just as crazy. I said, there is this guy, and uh, he goes up on this mountain, and he's conveniently by himself. And he goes up, and, and God speaks to him. But wait, but God speaks to him through a bush. <laughs> through a bush. And wait, 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 it gets even better. <laughs> the bush is on fire, and God speaks to him. And this is exactly how I'm saying it to him. And, 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 and that's it, but wait, you can see, but then he, he goes a little higher on the mountain, and he's conveniently by himself, and, and God stretches out his finger and writes on the mountain the 10 things we're all supposed to do the rest of our lives. That's crazy. But you believe it, and I believe it. He's like, yeah, that's true. So then he said, tell me why you believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm like, oh, glad you asked. <laughs> the worst thing sometimes we say as believers is this, oh, well, because of the Bible, the Bible tells me so, because the Bible says so. No, not a good answer. I mean, it is true, the Bible does tell us that. I'm not saying that, but I just said, you know, there's these, these men that followed him, and they, these, these disciples of his that walked with him and knew him they say they saw him resurrected from the dead. And, and then they began to spread this propaganda about Jesus rising from the dead and, and that salvation and eternal life is possible through him. And this is the weird thing. They had nothing to gain by making that up. 
In fact, they actually, they, they were ostracized they, from the temple. They, they, they were pushed back. They were made fun of. They lost their jobs. Some of them lost their families. Um, they couldn't make a living. They were starving. They were thrown into prison. They were whipped. All, all of, why would you make something up if you have nothing to gain? And then on top of that, they were killed. They were martyred. Some of them dragged through the streets. Some of them cut their heads off. Others boiled in oil. And guess what? Not a single one of them ever recanted. Not a single one of them. And then scripture tells us that there were over 500 witnesses that saw him. And Luke, Luke in his gospel, he went around and talked to all these witnesses. And it was crazy. They all, their stories all jived. And, and, and they said they saw the same thing. And these 500 people, they, they had nothing to gain. Nothing, they weren't going to become popular. There's no royalty. There's no money coming their way. They were going to lose everything. And I'm like, man, if that's the case, then this has to be true. See, whether you've been following Jesus for nine months or nine years or 90 years, we all have a moment where our, our faith is challenged. And this is Mary. So Mary, she, for nine months carries this, trying to explain and walk through this, and then she gives birth. <laughs> and she gives birth, and she's sitting here in Luke chapter 2. She gives birth, and she's holding a, a very human baby, like with an umbilical cord attached. And she's looking down, and like, this is a human baby And I, th- I don't know if she just doesn't say this in Scripture, but I wonder if she just looked at, at at Joseph and said, you saw the angel, right? And Joseph's like, yes, you saw him. Yeah, right. Well, then I, this has got to be the Messiah. And right in that moment where they're wrestling and they're working out their salvation, these shepherds show up on the scene. So they're, they're wrestling. There's no DNA test. There's no way that they could just like a spit in a test tube and a week later get the results back. I mean, like, I was talking to uh, Pastor Daniel, most of you know Pastor Daniel, and um, he's adopted, and, and he did one of those DNA tests, and I was talking to him about it this week, and he said he got the results back, and, um, and guess what? He's 100% Asian. <laughs> I'm like, come on, there's got to be something else in there. He's like, nope, look at it, and he showed me the report, 100% Asian, and he just looked at me, and he goes, crazy, huh? <laughs> I was just like, yeah. But Mary and Joseph, they didn't have a DNA test that would come back and go, yep, 100% Messiah, you're good. No, but these shepherds showed up on the scene. Here's the thing, write this down. Get around some shepherds. Get around some shepherds, okay? Come on, tell three people right now, get around some shepherds. You gotta get around some shepherds. And here's why you gotta get around some shepherds because in Luke chapter two, we see the shepherds showed up and they said, you know what? We saw an angel. We saw an angel. Not only that, but then there was this, the heavens were full of the angels, and they, we've come now to see this Messiah that the angel told us about. And Joseph's like, wait, you saw an angel that said the Messiah? Yeah. And Mary's like, well, J- Joseph and I, and you, and the three of them together must have been that moment. I wonder if they, they just looked down and they were like, this has to be the Messiah. This is church. This is a picture of the church. This is, this is who we are in, in this story. We come together to affirm the promise to one another. We come into the house and we're like, this is what Jesus did for me. And then somebody else says, he did that for you. This, this is what he did for me. And somebody else is like, that's great. Here's what he did for me. And together we go, 
He must be the Messiah. This is, listen, imagine, imagine if the shepherds had not shown up. And Mary and Joseph were just left alone to wander, to wonder and wonder if this was really true, but God sent those shepherds to confirm it. This is why it's so important that we are in the house every week. This is why it's so important that as followers of Jesus, we never take a week off from church because there are people all around us that are struggling with their doubts. We don't verbalize them, we don't talk about them, but we all have these moments. See, what you may not realize right now is there is somebody who's sitting two rows in front of you, two rows behind you, to your left or to your right, and they're struggling with doubts. But you're a follower of Jesus, and you're in the house today. And and when we're in the house together, together we can affirm this covenant that God has made for us. We, We don't just show up at church for ourselves. We show up for one another. The Apostle Paul talks about this to another church. He writes to another church, the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, so encourage each other and and what? Let's say this together, and what? Build each other up. I'd like for you to write this down. I need somebody and somebody needs me. I need somebody and somebody needs me. Come on, tell somebody right now. Tell three people right now, you need me, you need me. You need me. We all need one another. Here's why we need one another, because we all have these moments of doubt. But listen about this. When you come into the house of God and we come together in, in worship, something happens. Like You are wrestling with these doubts, and, this, and the music starts, and the worship starts, and you see somebody, and they raise their hands. Listen, when you raise your hands in worship, that isn't just for you. That's for the whole community of believers because people all around you are watching you. Now, I know some of you right now, they're watching me. Oh, they're watching me. I'm not. I'm, I'm sitting in the back next week. That's why I'm always in the back, okay? You raise your hands and somebody around you who's wrestling with some doubts, is struggling with some doubts, suddenly they raise their hands. Have you ever been in the middle of a song, like we're singing that song about God resurrecting us and you just feel it, you just sense it, and you just like, man, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the people of God coming together, the shepherds coming together to affirm the promise and the covenant with one another. That's what we're doing for one another. And we're building each other's faith. We are working out our our salvation together. That's why it's so important that you're in the house. That's why it's so important that you're here. I know this for a fact because just this morning when I was sitting down there and we're singing that song and that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. From the ashes I will rise. And I could hear it. I could sense it in our congregation. I could feel our faith just rising up and, and doubts just falling away in that moment. And I looked onto the stage. And here's the cool thing. See, some people that are around you, you don't know. You don't know what they're wrestling with. And you came in, and we come in with this idea that church is for me. It ain't for you. I mean, you're here. God's going to speak to you, but we are here for one another. If it was just for you, we'd do one-on-ones. There'd be no need for this. It's for all of us, corporately together, because we need each other. But the problem is we don't all know each other, and so you don't realize people are wrestling with their doubts. But sometimes you do, right? When you come to church long enough, you get to know people, you begin to know and you see them and you see God working in them and you see, you see Jesus in them and that affirms it in you. So I, this is what I saw this morning as I was looking up on this stage and, and I, I know these, these men and women. I know them well. I know, I know their husbands and wives. I know, I know their children and 
I know their stories. And, and we were singing that song, and from the ashes I will rise, the resurrected king is, is resurrecting me. And, and, and I, when I looked up on the stage, I, I saw someone who, who's recently just lost their dad. I saw somebody else who just recently lost a son. I, I looked up at the stage, and I saw someone else who was wrestling with some issues and some struggles in their family. But here they are in the house of God, giving glory to God, proclaiming to you and to themselves that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. That's what happens when we worship. By the way, also, when I'm up preaching and you spontaneously applaud like that, that builds our faith. Because you're clapping. You ever clapped in church alone? You're like, oh, that's good. Oh, oh. It was good, but, you, you, but some of you are like this. You wait. You wait for the clapping to start. And they're like, all right, now I'm in. Now I'm in. All right, all right, all right. Hey, those of you that lead it, you are the spirit-filled believers in Christ. I'm just saying that God is a, you're the one. There they are, right there. But when we clap, when we clap, we are affirming. Now, now here's the thing. I told you, I said, some of y'all, when I, when I say, turn and tell three people, you're like, oh, yeah. here he goes again. Here he goes again. And I see you every week doing this. You just even cross your arms. You're not even, you're not even going to pretend that you're participating. Here's why it's so important that you participate. Because it's, it's great that you're hearing it from my lips. It's great that you're hearing it from me. But you know what? There's something about when we hear it from one another. And, 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 you, and you, you hear somebody that, that speaks life over you, speaks faith over you, and, and, and says, man, like, you can believe the promise. You can believe the, the promise. Whatever it is, and when you turn and you say that to somebody, guess what? That person in that moment, you, you probably spoke over somebody that right in that moment probably needed that. And how do I know that? Because you know that somebody's spoken it to you, right? And you're like, wow, I really needed that. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I'm just, I'm just introverted, and I just, I'm not good around people, and I get real nervous. I get sweaty palms, and that's just not who I am. You do not get a free pass. You, seriously, what, you know what I want to encourage you to do? Pray. God, would you help me? Because I don't want to just sit here in my seat. I want to participate in the body. I want to encourage somebody. Somebody needs this spoken over them. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. God, would you get me out of myself? I'm nervous. I'm a, I don't like it when we do that. But God, would you help me? And I believe that what God is going to do is, yes, I'm going to help you. And not only that, I'm going to have you turn to somebody in front of you or turn to somebody behind you or on your side, and you're going to speak something over them. And you're going to think, ha, 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 that's really funny saying that to them. And that person's not going to be a ha, ha moment for them. It's going to be their moment where their doubts are arrested, thrown into the grave, and new life comes to them through you. We do this together. We come together, and confusion turns to confidence as we work out our salvation together. Here in a moment, we're going to come to the table. Why do you do communion every week? Why? Why? I just, you know, I don't, I don't think we should do it every week. I don't know. Everybody's got their arguments why they should or shouldn't do it. This is why we do it every week, because the scriptures tell us whenever you come together to do it. But here's why I really would encourage you as a follower of Jesus to take it every week. Because there's somebody around you that's wrestling with doubts. And when you step out from your seat and you go down that aisle and you go to the table, what you're doing is you're saying, I believe. I believe in that bread. That bread, it represents the body of Christ. He was very human, and I believe that. 
And just like Mary, I, I know he died, but I believe he was resurrected again. I, I believe, and you can believe, and you can believe. Come on, come on with me. You can believe because I'm believing. I'm going to step out. You can step out. Ah, I'm struggling. And you see the, the, the saints. You see everybody, everybody stepping out together, coming to the table and, and, and seeing the blood, the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And, and you say, I believe. I believe shed for my forgiveness. I believe I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And Jesus somehow wipes away my sins. When you do that, there are people that are not even followers of Jesus that are here this morning and they watch you and you go, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's like 200 people getting out of their seats to go up and have a piece of bread and a, and a little dill grape juice. What, what is this? And what happens is the spirit of God begins to confirm in them and, resur- and, and begin to resurrect them and arrest their doubts and put them in the grave and raise them to life. This is why we do what we do. This is why we don't take a week off. This is why we press into the house. This is why we're not like once a monthers. You know, the once a monther that's like, you know, ah, that feels good. I think I'm gonna go today. Feels good. Feels good. I'm gonna go. Once a monther. Or you know, you know, or the or the every other weeker. Okay, just just want to keep pace with Jesus. Just want to keep enough pace. Got a little bit behind. Come on, come on. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Got to catch up. Got to catch up. The every other weaker. Or there, there's the person that that's you know honestly is just like you know, I'm I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm good. That's the worst statement you can ever make. I'm good. That as soon as that comes off your lips, you ought to run to the house of God because you ain't good. But what you do is you go, well, I'm not good. Man, I need to get to church. I need to get to church. And I see you come. I mean, I know things aren't good. And that's when you come. We, we need to be people that are in the house every week for one another. Every week. Every week. I don't know where we got this idea that it's not an every week thing, but man, we got to come together and we got to be in the house and we got to worship together and we got to encourage one another because somebody's counting on you. When you get up and you're tired and you're worn out and you don't feel like going to church, let me just tell you this as a follower of Jesus. Somebody's counting on you. Somebody's counting on you to be in these seats. You're like, Brad, all I do is come and sit in the seat. Yes, look around. The house is full. And when the house is full, people who come in go, there must be something going on here. There must be something. Because this person shows up every week. They're like here every week. There must be something here. And what happens is as we come together, we encourage one another and we work out our salvation. So we got to get around some shepherds, and, and together we will affirm that the heart does go on.